if there was no Jesus, there would be no Christmas. And when we think about, I mean, put that in context for a moment. No gifts, no shopping, no traffic. Now, that would be a good thing. No trees, no lights, no half dozen cookies eating, eaten at the time, no family gatherings, no Christmas carols, no stockings, can you imagine Jesus Christmas without Christ? The truth is, none of it would exist. And it goes back to the question that I pose to you, what if there was no Christmas? What if there was no Jesus at Christmas? There would be no service. There would be no New Testament. There would be no church. We wouldn't even be here today. We'd be doing whatever we would be doing as any other day of a normal week But more, personalize it for a moment. More importantly, if there's no Jesus, what would your life be like? You see, the other things are secondary. You can hang stockings, you can decorate a tree, you can sing songs, you can even go to church and never really fully understand who Christ is. But this morning, most of you in this place, I ask you the question because you can understand what what would your life be like if you took Jesus totally out of it? I asked Pam, my wife, this morning on the way here, I said, what would your life be like if you took Jesus out? Without hesitation, she goes, a mess. Then a few minutes down the road, she goes, you know, life is hard enough as it is. I can't imagine not having Christ in it. It would really be a mess. But some of you don't even have an understanding of what it means to not have a mess in your life. Because you've never included Jesus into it. We all know the story of the innkeeper. There was no room in the inn. No vacancy. And for some, we've never created a vacancy in our lives. So Jesus can come in and be a part of our life that's a mess. So he can turn around and give us an abundant life and a joyful life and a life of peace. Even in the middle of a mess. Life without Christ. Hopeless. Far from God. No redemption. Living life in sin. With no sense of forgiveness at all. Life without Jesus. What would it look like at home? Life without Jesus. What would the world look like? It's a big mess. But you know what? Flip with me to, to Matthew chapter 1 because we're going to look at something that is even more of a big mess. And I find this intriguing. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And this is probably one of those boring sections of the entire Bible. The genealogy of Jesus. 
But that's what we're going to read this morning. I'm going to bore you on Christmas Sunday. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Amenadab something or other. And Amenadab Dab something or other begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Solomon, and Solomon begot Boaz by Raham, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon. Do we have to keep doing this? It goes all the way down and go down to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And then it goes into the Christmas story. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now let's go back to Matthew 1, 1. Because 121 applies to Matthew 1, 1. Let me show you. Why Christ matters at Christmas. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verse 2. Abraham begot Isaac. Let's go through the genealogy for a moment of Jesus. Abraham was a man who God had promised to have a child, and he became impatient along with his wife, and he goes and sleeps with another woman so that she could have a child, and she gets pregnant, and then he cast her and the baby out, the child out. Wow. It's kind of a bad guy to be mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And he begot Isaac. And Isaac begot Jacob. Well, Isaac was a father who had favorites, favoritism in his household, and that cost him severely, and he has a kid named Jacob, and Jacob was known as a swindler, a liar, a spoiled brat, a cheater, a bad guy. And Jacob begot Judah, oh Judah, Genesis chapter 38. Now you're talking about a mess, I won't even get into the gory details, but basically... Judah turns around and he's told by his grandparents, don't marry a woman from the Canaanite tribe, from over there in Canaanite. Don't go marry her. So he does. And then he turns around and his son marries a woman named Tamar. And he was so wicked, the son was so wicked that God strikes him dead. And in customary times, if you were married to someone and you didn't have children, you had to marry the younger brother. So the second son of Judah marries this woman named Tamar, and he was so bad and so evil and vile and didn't want to marry her and all this big scene that God takes his life. 
Well, then it's supposed to go to the third son. Well, Judah didn't want the third son to marry Tamar because his first two kids had already died. So he prolongs and says, well, maybe I can put this off. So he puts it off for years, and it's sheep season, and it's time to sell, to sell the, the, the fur. Not fur, what do you call that on a sheep? The wool. So he goes to town to sell the wool, and it's money day, it's payday. And he's going along, and he sees a woman on the side of the street with her hair, her face covered. And he says, and she's a, a prostitute, and he says, you know, I kind of would like to be with her. And he does, and he comes back. And next thing you know, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant. And he says, have her killed, have her stoned, she's, hor- she's horrible. Until she says, well, you're the father of the baby. And she gets pregnant with two twins. He says, you're more righteous than I. And, he says, and so she gets pregnant with two twins, and they come out, and, and, and one's named Perez, and then this other one. They might would fit right in Alabama. Think about this. <laughs> he gives birth to a son that's really his grandson. So does the kid call Judah father or grandfather? I don't know. What a, what a crazy mess. Interestingly enough, when you flip over to Revelation and it says... Who is worthy to open the scroll? It says, there is one from the lineage of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, and his name is Jesus. Now let's put this in the context for a moment. In Revelation, when the angel said, who is worthy to open the scroll? And they say, the one who come from the tribe of Judah, and look at the mess of Judah's life. So you've got, incest, you've got adultery, you've got swindlers, you've got liars, you've got cheaters, you've got spoiled brats, you've got the people with other people. It, it gets crazy. Well, then you go on down and, and you have Perez. Well, he's the son of incest, the son and grandson all at the same time. Then you go down to verse 5, for instance, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Well, Rahab was a prostitute. You go on down to verse 6, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. No, that might not be significant to you, but it's significant in the scripture because any of you have a dark secret of a bad woman in the history of your family and she's so evil, she's so vile that you don't even mention her name? Maybe a divorce situation, you walk in at Christmas on Tuesday and you know everybody dances around, you don't even mention the woman's name. That's what happens here in verse 6. Verse, yeah, 6. Jesse begot David, the king. Well, remember David looked off of his rooftop and saw a woman that he liked and he went and slept with her. Her name was Bathsheba and she gets pregnant and he, and he turns around and tries to have or does have her husband killed. The genealogy of Jesus. A murderer and adulterer. And this her who had been the wife of Uriah, Uriah, that's Bathsheba. And they have a son named Solomon. Solomon had was called the wisest man on the planet. He had over a thousand women and concubines. But yet at the same time he's building the temple of God. 
Well, he has a son named Rehoboam. That guy completely was a disaster for Israel. His son, this Ebijah, the scripture calls him and said he was as evil as his father. Now I don't want to waste more time or talk more of this, but you see where I'm going with this? Then you get to the end of the genealogy, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, verse 16, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And then we see in 121, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen to me. The Christmas story is not about the trees, the stockings, the gifts, the lights, the mall, the shopping, the family times, and the six dozen chocolate chip cookies that I ate over the weekend. The story of Christmas is Jesus saw a lineage of his own people that was absolutely entrenched and ensnared by sin who needed a savior and his name was Jesus who came to the earth to save his people from their sin. And that's where we sit today. You see, it's easy for us to go back, and I don't know about you, and I don't want to air my family's dirty laundry, but I look at my family, and I'm like, man, that's a whacked-out group. <laughs> no joke, several years ago, as skeletons began to come out of the closet, my brother looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said to me, he said, how in the world did we come out normal? <laughs> but you know, if you think you're normal, maybe you're not normal. point is this, even those who are, quote, normal, who doesn't have a lot of garbage and baggage in their background, are still sinners saved by grace. But why does God not hide these ugly, vile, sordid stories from us? That's the question I want us to look at today. Why would he include these kind of stories to tell the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. You know, I began to think about that, and this is what I believe is the answer. One is because we're just like they are. How are we like them? Let me tell you. One, because we all have family secrets and skeletons in our family closets. Anybody? We all have dark secrets and dark things that's been done or things that we wouldn't want anyone to know. And some of us show up at church and we look all this and what a great family and what terrific people and, and you know, the love of the Lord. All of that is true. But the bottom line is every single one of us in this place today is a sinner in some kind of a way who needs a Savior and that's what Christmas is all about. So one, we're all just like them and that we all have family secrets in our, in, our, in, our, in our closets. And by the way, just as a note of encouragement, if you get together on Tuesday and you look around and you say, this is a whacked out group I'm a part of, just look at Jesus' genealogy. But secondly is... The point I just made that all of us have sinned. 
Romans 3, Paul says, There is no one righteous, no, not one. Romans 7, 18, I knew nothing good lives, I know nothing good lives in me, Paul said. That is, in my sinful nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that we have sin in our lives. We know that we're sinners. And we know that we need a Savior. And that's the next point that I want us to see is that why, why does God include these kind of stories? It's because, because all of us are sinned and we all crave forgiveness and love in God's grace. And I am convinced more than ever, in a time in crisis in our nation, while God's not even known, and we call a, a Christmas tree a holiday tree, and a Christmas program a holiday program, and all of that stuff of people missing Jesus, the bottom line is, deep inside, every person longs for love and grace and forgiveness of God. Every person longs for that. And that's why Jesus come, came to the earth was to, to be our Savior and to, for us to, to understand and put Him in His rightful place. And for us as we've gone down the road that was straight to get back to the road that is the right road. And that's the, the road that leads to life, being Jesus Christ. And I'm concerned that we are losing sight of the reason Jesus really came. It wasn't for all the other things, even though those aren't necessarily bad and we all enjoy those. It's because we're sinners in need of a Savior named Jesus. And if we don't have the main thing as the main thing, then nothing else is even has any meaning at all. And we praise God that God gives us grace beyond comprehension, grace beyond reason. In Romans 5.20, Paul tells us where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You know, Satan is the great accuser. And I know for a fact there's some in this room today where you've been paralyzed in your sin and paralyzed in your fear or maybe you don't open your Bible because you say, I don't open the Word because I'm not worthy to read. I can't do what they can do. I'm not like my parents. I can't be like my grandmother. Maybe today you feel unworthy, and maybe Satan is pointing the finger at you as the great accuser and saying you're not worth it. Your sin is too great. You can never be like someone else. Don't open the word of God because it's not worth it. You can't ever live that life. Maybe the accuser looks at you and is trying to hide the simple fact that God Almighty, his main purpose, Jesus in coming, was to triumph over your sin. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why you're even in this place today. Just to have a reminder that God Almighty defeated sin on the cross and was buried for that sin and arose on the third day. That is the full Christmas story. It's grace beyond comprehension. And I want us to look at a scripture. If you will, look over with me at 1 Corinthians Chapter 6. 
And here again, we'll look at the Christmas story through the lens of Paul the Apostle. Chapter 6, verse 9. You know, we all seek truth, too, even though sometimes we don't want truth. I think everyone here is honest enough with self that you want to know truth. Well, here's truth found in chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the bad news. The bad news is we're all in sin and we've all committed sin and that separates us from God. The good news is verse 11. And such were some of you. Isn't that true? How many of you are willing to confess? You know what? I was on that. I'm in that list somewhere in my past. But then look at verse 11. Here's the good news and here's the hope of Christ at Christmas. It says, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Y'all, the good news is you might have a sordid past. You might have a sinful past. You might be far from God in your past. But some of you, if not most of you in this place, you understand what Paul's talking about. I was this way. And I, and, and I was in sin, and Christ came, and, I was, and, and He washed me, He sanctified me, He justified me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we can celebrate because of what God Almighty has done in your life. You're not like you were yesterday. You weren't like you were in your old dark days of sin. God Almighty set you free because Jesus came as a baby and died on the cross and, was res- and arose on the third day. We don't have to look at the past. You know, this morning I was thinking, you know, I could go through that list of each of those sin and each of that lifestyle and have people actually say, you know what, yeah, that was me. But then as I thought about it, I'm like, why would I do such? Because the truth is, the Scripture teaches us that God takes our sins and, 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 and puts it at the bottom of the ocean to remember it no more. It says that you are a new creation. Old things have gone. Old sins are in the past and in the future because Jesus came and died for us and died for you. And that's the Christmas story. That's the greatest hope and future that we've got. That it's not just all the other things, but it's Jesus at the beginning and Jesus all the way through. You know, we've gotten so caught up in this whole season, I, I don't know if y'all saw that the, um, a house member uh, in the state of Texas was interviewed on the radio, and, and he said, I am so sick of a holiday tree and a holiday party and a holiday concert and a holiday advertising. He said, if I hear it one more time, I'm going to throw up. That's what he said. It is sickening to see 
the story of Christmas, sinner saved by grace through Jesus. The day trying to be hijacked and politically corrected into a holiday. And I know that y'all know the story of Santa Claus back in the 4th century. I wanted to give you something that's interesting, though, that I bet you didn't know. In the 4th century, St. Nicholas, who we get Santa Claus from, the concept, was a bishop in Myra in modern-day Turkey. And he cared for poor people, particularly orphans. And we know that part of the story, probably everyone in here does. The part that you probably don't know is this. He was also a part, a delegate for the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. You say, what's the Council of Nicaea? For theologians and for us, that it was a huge council of Christians, Christian leaders that came together to determine that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He is fully God. He is deity. He was died and, and was buried and arose on the third day that he's the Savior of the world. That's what the Council of Nicaea determined. And St. Nicholas was there. And St. Nicholas turned around and he actually was a part of writing the, what we call the Nicene Creed. And it got so hot and so debate, it was so, such a hot debate, true story, that one man named, one of the, the, the other delegates named Arius was teaching that Jesus was just a man and that he wasn't the Savior. And St. Nicholas got up out of his chair, walked over to Arius, and slapped him in the face to try to knock some sense into him. Well, he almost lost his seat as a part of the Nicene delegation until he said, look, you know, that probably wasn't inappropriate. I shouldn't have gotten up and slapped him. But I still believe that the man is wrong. Maybe we need, not really, so don't misunderstand, but wouldn't it be kind of nice if all Santas had a new part of their job description every time the, the, the merchant says, Happy Holidays, Santa slap. <laughs> every commercial, uh-uh, St. Nick slap. And you just got Santas all over town every time someone says, Happy Holidays. Nope, it's Jesus. Can you imagine a whole new concept? Till the stores wouldn't like that any longer, and then they'd do away with it. And y'all, sometimes, and I know this, this might sound a little hard. I, I hope it doesn't. Sometimes we need a little slap to wake us up, but it ain't about all this other stuff. A little wake-up slap. A little prodding to help us remember to put the main thing as the main thing. We are sinners. We need a Savior. God so loved us that He sent Jesus. And He includes His genealogy in Matthew 1 to show how bad the past really is. And how Jesus came as a Savior. 
And sometimes we need a little bit of a wake-up call that, listen, it's not about the other things. And you can take Christmas and shape it and form it into anything you want it to be. And there's great memories created in all of that. But the bottom line is, it's still about Jesus. You know, what's interesting too is this grace God's grace. If you would take, and I would take, just a quick moment in time to look truly at our sin and where we would be without Christ. Just a fleeting moment where our family would be without Christ. Well, I can tell you the savages would be an absolute disaster. If it wasn't for Jesus, my daddy would be dead. If it wasn't for Jesus, my mama would have probably died of anxiety years ago. If it wasn't for Jesus, my grandfather wouldn't have sat there before he died and he and I talk about Jesus as his Savior. If it wasn't for Jesus, my wife, I wouldn't even know her because I wouldn't have ever went to Cleveland. If it wasn't for Jesus, with my own past, I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for grace. If it wasn't for Jesus, I hate to admit it, there ain't no telling what I'd go do because that's my... I'm a sinner. First Corinthians, look at that again. He gives a list of sins. And he says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were this way. And it says, but. What? Jesus. He puts everything back right. And what Satan means for bad and to turn your world upside down, Jesus straightened that out and gave you hope and gave you a future. And some of us here today know that far better than others probably. But I want to close with this thought. When Jesus came, and all of us have a propensity towards a particular sin in our past, whether it be greed or lying or deception or adultery or homosexuality, bitterness, self-centeredness, foul-mouthed, spiritually blind, whatever it may be. Here's the kind of God we have. God creates us, and in our vileness of our sin, 
we're separated from him and he still loves us. Look at the character of God. He loves us so much that he sends Jesus to us so that we didn't have to live like that. Instead, he sends Jesus as a gift, the first Christmas gift ever, so that those who would receive that gift and become a follower of that gift, meaning Jesus, would not only have eternal life forever with God in heaven, but would have hope here on earth that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, as the Scripture says. That we're not left alone to ourselves, to fend for ourselves, but that we have a Savior named Jesus. And so here's the idea based on 1 Corinthians. Those of you who are greedy, or us who are greedy, but Jesus gave us contentment. Those of us in adultery, but Jesus gave forgiveness. In alcohol of the past, but Jesus gave us freedom. The lover of self, but Jesus gave us a love for others. In bitterness, Jesus gave release. In self-centeredness, Jesus gave us, made us a servant. In our anger, Jesus gave us peace. In our hurt, Jesus gave us healing. In our jealousy, Jesus gave us security. In our foul-mouthedness, Jesus gave us praise. In our being blind spiritually, Jesus gave us sight. In our being captive to sin, Jesus gave us liberty. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the end. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the bread of life. That's why he was born in Bethlehem as the one who is the bread, the sustenance of life. He's the chief shepherd, the protector, the sustainer, the guide. He's the chief cornerstone, the foundation of our life. He's the firstborn of the dead, meaning that we can arise with him in our resurrection. He's the good shepherd, meaning that he takes care of us. He's the holy one of God who is sinless in his nature. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us that we're not left to our own vices and our own ways and our own protection. He's the light of the world, bringing hope into where we're going so that we're not in darkness. He's the Lord of glory and the power and the presence of a living God. We can enter into the Holy of Holies because of Him as our mediator. He is the prophet in that He proclaimed who God was and showed us the way of God and paved the way for us to get to God. He is our Savior. He delivers us from sin and from death. He is the Son of Man in that He identifies us with us and helps us see and understand our humanity towards Him. He is the very Word of God who gives us life and meaning through this book it is jesus in the beginning it is jesus in the middle it is jesus tomorrow it is jesus forevermore if we don't keep our eye on jesus we lose what christmas is all about now and in our sin whatever that sin may be that had us absolutely handcuffed in life and depressed on the inside and bound up in captivity and misery and darkness, whatever that sin was in our life that held us captive. Paul says, but Jesus justified you, sanctified you. It's the name of Jesus. That is why as James said a moment ago, Philippians chapter 2, and tells the Christmas story, Paul's version, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because he's the only one 
who came and gave you life. Gave you hope. Took away your sin. Gives you eternal life and is gone to prepare a place for you even now. He's the only one who brought light into your dark situation. He's the only one who gave you peace in the midst of turmoil. He's the only one who can be Jesus in your life. It's Jesus. Isn't that true? So today, as we close, if you're here, every person can do one of two things. And I ask every person to do one of two things today. Number one, you say, I don't know that I really know Jesus. I understand who he is. I've had him a part of my life. I'm here in church today. Do you have that relationship with him? Do you understand what he's done for you? And do you ask him to be the Lord of your life? If not, do as what most of us here have done. And that is where we came to the place and said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I, I don't fully understand everything there is to know. But I know I need you as my Savior. 